are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We're talking about life in the kingdom, living in God's community. One of the questions I thought I might ask you this morning as we started is simply this. So, how is life different in God's community than other communities? And so how is life in the kingdom different than living in the kingdoms of this world? And so I hope it causes your mind to spin and you begin to think about the differences in God's kingdom and the other kingdoms of this world. Now, yesterday morning I got up and I heard right away that Supreme Court uh, Justice Scalia had passed away. And, and I listened kind of through the day and reading news and hearing about him. And more than once I heard someone say he was truly a great man. So what defines greatness? And, and what is the scale that we use to determine that somebody was a great person? Because if you go to Jesus and you ask Jesus, what makes a person great? Jesus gives us a definition that almost surprises us. When he says that the greatest among you is the one who serves you. And Jesus redefines what it means to be great. Let me, let me show you. We're in the book of uh, Luke, chapter 22, and I'm going to start reading with verse 24, okay? Jesus is with his disciples, and they are at the Last Supper, and he has told them that I belong to eat this meal with you, and he has talked to them about the fact that he is now going to suffer. And so for a long time he's been preparing them for what's coming, and, and it shocks me that when I get to verse 24, it simply says, a dispute arose among them. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Jesus is about to go under this time of being whipped and hung on a cross, beaten, and you guys are fussing about stuff. But that's what it says. A dispute arose among them. And here's what they're disputing about. As to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. Give me a break. And so Jesus said to them, Hey, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, meaning their subjects. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. They give themselves really impressive titles. But then he says in verse 26, but you are not like that. You're not like everybody else. You're not like the other kingdoms of this world. Well, Jesus, if we're not like that, what are we like? And he says, instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? He gives this illustration. Uh, is it the one who is at the table or the one who serves? And he answers the question, well, it's obviously the one who is at the table, Right? And then Jesus challenges them with these words. But I am among you. I'm your teacher. I'm your rabbi. But I am among you as one who serves. So this is God's word for us today. Um, I, I got to be with this family the other day. Uh, his name is Jeff. And her name is Krista. And their last name is Hans. And, and they both have family here at our church. Uh, the Shirens and the, and the Watkins. And... And they are now serving in ministry at a church here nearby us. And so as they're beginning to tell the story, 
they, they share something very interesting. They say to us that, you know, we got married and uh, started, you know, into school and, and uh, all this kind of stuff. And, and, and God gave us this little girl. So this little girl comes into our lives. We have, we have a little girl. But, but then somewhere along the line, God begins to put on our hearts this little boy in Ethiopia. So, so here they are in Oklahoma, United States of America, and in the Horn of Africa, there's a little boy, and they understand his plight, and God begins to say, but what about him? And so they go get him. And they adopt him, and they bring him into their homes and into their lives, and now their family is very colorful. But then God puts on their hearts another child in Ethiopia. And then God puts another child on their hearts in Ethiopia. And now their family has grown a great deal and they're very colorful and they're very alive and they're very full. And, and everything has changed for them. And now they're saying, we can't just go get every child in Ethiopia that has this plight. And so they're trying to say, what can we do to help many more children in Ethiopia? I, I don't know about you guys, but man, I mean, I just hear that story. And, and God gets a hold of my heart. And I'm so impressed with these people. And I sit there and I listen to their stories. And I find tears dropping off my cheeks. And I'm going, where does God find people like this? I know this is Valentine's Day. And I love Valentine's Day. And that, would you be mine? I haven't even asked you today, but would you be mine? And it's about romantic love. And I'm okay with that. And it's fun. But if you want to talk about love, I don't have any better picture of love to show you this morning than this family. You see, culture has told them something very different than this. The culture that they live in has given them another narrative. And the narrative that culture has given them is simply this. You better watch out for yourself and your own needs are more important than anything else. But somewhere along the way, they said, we're not going to buy that any longer. And we're going to step outside of what's comfortable and familiar. And we're going to step outside of just watching out for ourselves. And we're going to focus on the needs of somebody else. So let me talk to you about that other narrative, okay? So here's, here's what happens. Jesus is that what we have called the Last Supper with His disciples. The reason we call it the Last Supper is Jesus says, I will not eat this again until fulfillment has come to the kingdom. And He gives them the cup and He says, drink it. And He gives them the bread and He says, eat it. This is my body. This is my blood broken, shed for you. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. And then He says to them, somebody here is going to betray me. So here we are in the season of Lent where we focus on the death of Christ. And, and we're just overwhelmed at what happens after this all takes place. Let me, let me show you a picture, okay? So this is uh, a, uh, how would I say it? This is a copy, uh, an imitation of, of a painting, The Last Supper, okay? One of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, little sayings of this is, you, you know, have you ever read those things? All the things Jesus said, must have said, but didn't get recorded. And I love the one about this. What Jesus must have said but did not get recorded. Guys, if you want to be in the picture, you need to sit on this side of the table. Must have said it, but it never got recorded. This is not the actual painting. Let me show you a picture of the actual painting, okay? And here it is coming up just in seconds, I'm sure. There it is. And that is a picture of the actual painting. Commissioned by Leonardo 
DiCaprio would be someone else, but that was close. <laughs> da Vinci, he was commissioned in 1945 to do a painting as part of the renovation of the church in Milan. And so what he does is he tries to capture this scene I'm talking to you about, okay? And the scene, the scene that I'm... The scene that I'm trying to describe is where Jesus explains to the disciples that one of you are going to betray me. And this is what Leonardo does. He tries to capture the consternation of the twelve disciples coming to understand that. And, and that's what the, the picture is. One of the most popular paintings in all of the world. Okay, thank you. And right after that moment, guess what happens? A fight breaks out. And you know what they start fighting over? Who's the greatest among us? I mean, which one of the disciples would Jesus say, you know, this guy's the leader, he's on top. And I don't know what's going on in their minds, and so this is all just my imagination racing to try to understand what's taking place. And maybe it's because they truly understand that Jesus is going away, that He is going to die. He was serious when He said it. And now they're asking the question, who gets to be in charge? I don't know what they're doing, but something's happened, and they're having this dispute about who is the greatest among us. And so Jesus responds. And He says, you know what, guys? The kings of this world, they kind of lord their power over their subjects. And they do feel mighty and in charge. And they give themselves very impressive titles. But you're not going to be like that. Life in the kingdom isn't like that at all. Living in my community, that's not the way we function. Instead, Here's the deal. The greatest among you is like the youngest among you. Now, you've got to listen to me because that was in a day. Are you ready? Are you listening? That was in a day where young people served their elders. Oh, for the good old days. Can I get a witness, huh? You, you would be shocked. In the first service, they clapped when I said that. And I told them it's going to be very different in this service when I say this, okay? And then he says, the greatest among you the ruler should be like the one who serves. And in a moment, Jesus redefines greatness. Oh, you thought great was a person who can somehow become the president? No, 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 no. Great is the person who serves his brother's and his sisters. Yeah. You know, I was with a, a young guy the other day. He was just out of college. And he was wanting to talk about some stuff going on in his life. So I went to breakfast. And I'm always glad to do that. And we were sitting, talking. And finally he says, okay, I, I need you to give me some advice. Tell me what you think. And I said, well, okay, I, I can do that. If you're asking for advice, I can give you some advice. And so I gave him the best advice that I could give him. And he was very respectful. And he says, thank you so much. And I'm going to pay attention to you, Pastor. And what you said, because my dad once said to me, always listen to the guy with the gray hair. I was like, thank you, I think. I mean, why would you say that? My hair isn't that gray. 
So let me give you some advice today, okay? Strive with everything you have to get out of the way enough to let the Holy Spirit reproduce in you the character of Christ. Become like Jesus. Strive with everything you have to get out of the way enough where that the Holy Spirit can do His work in your life and help you become like Jesus. Holiness is nothing more than being like Jesus. Holiness is nothing less than becoming like Jesus. I grew up singing a song and we would sing, I have one deep supreme desire. I want to be like Jesus. I mean, if there's one thing to which I fervently aspire, it's that I just want to be like Jesus. And so what's Jesus like? One day, He's with His disciples, and He stands up. And in their presence, He takes off His cloak, which is His outer garment. And He's wearing a tunic, which would look kind of like us, something like a a little heavier, but maybe a longer undershirt. And then he goes over and he picks up a basin and it's full of water. And he gets a towel and he goes and he gets down on his knees. Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, he gets down on his knees. And he washes their feet. He takes their dirty, stinking feet into his hands and he washes their feet. And after he washes their feet, he says this to them. He says, now that I have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do what I have done. Here's the thing. Jesus never, ever, ever, ever says, this is what you should be doing if He's not doing it Himself. One day, the most influential man who has ever lived in the history of the world, think about this, the most influential man who has ever lived in the history of the world, Jesus Himself said, if you want to be great, then you must become the servant. Matthew chapter 20. If you want to become great, then you must become the servant. Because He says the Son of Man... I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So, I think that preaching cannot stop at just kind of knowing what the Word says. I think that we have to say, and how do I apply that to my life? Okay, this afternoon, I'm leaving here, and I want to be like Jesus, and I want to apply this Scripture to my life. How do I do that? And tomorrow, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to life. And when I go into life, doing whatever I do, I want to apply the Word of my life. And on Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and on Saturday, I want to apply the Word of God. So I think preaching cannot stop at just saying, this is what the Word of God says, or even this is what it means. I think we have to ask the question, so how do I apply this teaching to my life? So let's talk about that for a minute, okay? I think that practices what we actually physically do with our bodies and our minds shape who we become. Okay? So I believe that what we actually do practices, what we do with our body, our mind, I believe that it shapes who we become. So I'll just give you an example, all right? I believe that when I give, when I sit down at my desk at home, 
and I get a checkbook and I write a check and I put it in an envelope and I stick it in the mail and I give it away, I believe that helps me to be much less selfish. That's just what I found in my own life. I believe the practices that we do, the things that we do, actually shape who we become. I'm not taking anything away from the fact that we have transformational experience by the power of the Holy Spirit. God does things in us. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen at all. I'm just saying that another means of grace, another thing that God does, is sometimes He works through what we physically do to shape us. Okay? There's a negative side to that. I think that if I sit in front of media for hours and hours and hours and hours a day, that that also has the potential of shaping me. I think that if I'm not careful and I sit in front of media for hours and hours and hours and hours a day, that the values of this world begin to influence me. And so I believe what we do with our time, with our bodies, with our lives, with our minds, I believe it has the potential of shaping who we become. Okay? So I was reading an article by a friend the other day. And he says that when we were slaves to sin, what did we practice? Sin. In fact, some of you would say, I practiced it a lot until I got really, really good at it. I practiced sin all the time. He says, but when we become a slave to God, what do we practice? And I love the word that he used, holiness. And so I believe there are many practices that you and I should be involved in. Practicing our holiness. Things that we actually do with our body, our time, our minds. And I believe that God often uses those to help shape us. So I believe corporate worship is extremely important. I think that you got up today and you made a choice. And I'm going to commend you on an excellent choice. I think that finding places to be involved in corporate worship is powerfully transformative in your life. And there's a concern that I have. And it worries me. And I think about it. And I don't know what to do about it. But we are living in a day when people go to church less and less. People who go to church regularly just don't go to church that often. Here's, here's a common conversation that I have with people. Pastor, I love this series that you're in. Thank you so much. We caught the first one live. We got the next two online. We're going to try to make it there for the last one. I mean, that's just common. And what we have decided in our society for some reason is that we go to church if we don't have anything else that we have to do. Then we'll go to church. And I'm not concerned that people are just missing. I'm concerned that people are going to miss out. Because as you just kind of slip away and you go less and you go less, then you go less and you less, it becomes easier one day just to not go much at all. And I believe that time in corporate worship is one of the most transformative times in our week. Resist that temptation. What, what are you teaching your kids? When church has no kind of priority, it's just one of the things on the list. If we don't have anything else that we have to do, then we'll go there. I, I think corporate worship is important. I think personal, private worship is so important. And it's highly transformative in your life. I think it's one of those means of grace that God will use to transform you. Time in the Word, time in prayer. I don't know what I would do without it. I hear all these other messages all throughout my week. And in the mornings I get up and I get my Bible and I get my study stuff and I begin to open myself then to the truth. I've heard lies all day long yesterday. So now God, tell me the truth. 
I think being a part of a group in some way, living this out in the context of community, submitting yourself to the accountability of others, being in a class or group on a regular basis is very important. I believe giving is important. I believe sharing your faith is important. There's lots of practices. I believe with everything in me that serving is one of those things that we do that God uses to shape us. But listen, I can't tell you how many stories did I hear, but they're like this. Pastor, I started teaching a fifth grade boy Sunday school class, and let me tell you something. God has taught me more through teaching that class than I would ever learn anywhere else in my life. I can't think of all the people who have said to me, I went on a missions trip last summer. And that missions trip was one of the greatest things that has ever happened to me in regard to my walk with God. I believe that when we serve, that God uses those experiences, those practices, to transform us. One of the things I got to do when my girls were growing up was I got to take them to school. And so, with only a few exceptions, all their lives, I took them to school. I remember when they were little, I would pull up to their school, and right before they would jump out of the car and run into school, uh, I would lean over, and they would kiss me on the cheek. Bye, Daddy, I love you. Bye, baby, I love you. I'll see you tonight. Have a good day. Okay. And I remember the morning that my oldest daughter, Brittany, when we pulled up in that car line, and I leaned over, and Brittany says, Daddy, is it okay if I don't kiss you this morning? And I said, oh, oh, yeah, well, sure, it's okay. Daddy, does that hurt your feelings? No, I'm, I'm good, I understand, sure. You sure, Daddy? I'm sure. I'll kiss you tonight when I see you. And she jumped out and ran in, and I pulled away, and I'm just wiping the tears like crazy. <laughs> you know what that changed for our family? Nothing. You know what we did when she came home that night? We still fed her dinner. We let her go to her room and she got to sleep in her bed. When she got sick, we didn't even debate about whether or not we're going to take her to the doctor. We took her. When she needed a dentist, she went. We still bought her school supplies and clothes. And all those years that little Brittany grew up in our home, she knew that we were going to provide for her and care for her. Okay, that's the other narrative. Not the narrative of my needs matter most and I'm going to take care of myself. No, the other narrative is just like my little Brittany grew up in this home knowing that somebody was providing for her and watching over her. I am a child of God and I know that God is watching over me and I know that His hand is on me and I know that He is providing for me. He promised me in His Word that He would. And so since God has got me... And my life is in His hands and He's taking good care of me. Then I am free to take care of others. 
You understand, that is the other narrative. That is when Jeff Hands and Krista looked at a little boy in Ethiopia, they said, well, if God is watching over us and God is taking care of us and God is preparing for us, then, then I guess we can focus on Him, right? I refuse to believe the narrative that my culture gives me to say that I have to watch out for myself and my needs matter most. And I've got to take care of number one, but I will believe the narrative of what it means to be in the community of God. And life in the kingdom says that God has got my life in His hands, and therefore I am free to serve you. Now that's a different kind of narrative. So I serve on a a, a credentials board for the district, and what it is is... Uh, people who want to go into ministry, they meet with us annually, um, and, and we just help them to, to make sure they're going through all the process to, to, be, to be in training for ministry. And so I was in a meeting just this past Friday, and this couple comes in. Their names are Heath and Valerie Twyman. And they went to the district superintendent, and they said, um, we would like to volunteer. To pastor the church in Shattuck, Oklahoma, a town of 1,200 people, and there were five people attending the church. And, and I'm not making this stuff up. The district superintendent goes to their pastor in Guyman and says, are these people for real? They really want to go pastor a church with five people? And no, they're, they're for real. In fact, in fact, they're willing to quit their jobs because it's over an hour away and move there. And so he's kind of scratching his head saying, really? And he said, honestly, I, I would love to have a seminary graduate in every, in every church that I have, but sometimes if they've just got blood pumping through their veins, that's a, that's a great thing. You know, if somebody just alive, that's a good thing too, you know. And so I said, well, sure. Met with them, talked to them. Well, sure, I think they love the Lord. I think, yeah, sure. They're both called to ministry and they're starting their training process. And they said, you know, when we got to that church, um, we didn't have any resources. We didn't have any money. And, and we, didn't, we didn't have many people. And, and we don't have any education. We're we just, we just now getting started with that. And, and we had five people, but four of them left. So, you know, we're really going down quick. And so all we had was prayer. So we, we prayed. We would come into the church and there was a little alabaster box sitting there, a cardboard one, and just a little box like this size and had a little slit in it for money. And instead we just put names of people we prayed for in that little box. And here's what we prayed. God, bring us people who are poor. Bring us people who are hurting. Bring us people that everybody else rejects. Bring us people who need Jesus. And we'll love them. And they said, God began to bring us people. They said, it's kind of interesting. A few weeks ago, we found that box. And we opened it up. And we started reading names. We said, oh, they're in our church. Another name. Hey, they're in our church. Another name. They're in our church. A little, a little, a little lady... And her son just needed somewhere to 
be and stay and live and needed shelter and needed help. And they said in Shattuck, there's no shelters, <laughs> you know. And so she's been with us for about a month, and every day we counsel with her and love her and care for her. And you'd be surprised how well she's doing now. And they said, guess what happened? Two weeks ago, the local bar owner joined our church. (laughs) They heard about a church on our district. Now, they run about 30 to 40 people now on Sunday morning. And they heard about a church on district that needed help. And so they began to save money to try to help this other struggling church. And they brought the district superintendent a check for $1,000. And he said it was all I could do to accept the check. Because I knew in my heart this church needed it worse than the struggling church. They have refused to believe the narrative of culture that says... Your needs matter most. You better watch out for number one. You better keep that job. They said, oh, no, no, no. There's another narrative. (laughs) And in the community of God, this is the narrative. that God's got our lives in His hand. And therefore, He's going to watch over us and care for us and provide for us. So we are free to serve others. What a way to live life. You want to bow your heads with me for a minute? So you guys want to come on up, that'd be great. Is it too much of asking you to close your eyes and just take a little bit of time here just to pray? I'm going to level with you. God calls us to be very different. We're not like the kingdoms of the world. We don't lord power over people and we don't give ourselves impressive titles. Our God is holy. The very root of that word hagios that we translate from the New Testament Greek into holy, the very root means different. And I pray that God make us all very, very different. People look at us and say, people people don't love like Christians love. Christians are different. People don't care like Christians care. Christians are different. People don't travel to Ethiopia like Christians. They're different. So let me just be quiet for a moment and let you spend a few minutes with the Lord saying, Lord, give me the right name. Give me the heart of Jesus. Let me pick up a towel and get on my knees and wash the feet of people. Because God, you got my life. And so I'm free to serve. Just take a few moments to pray.
stand with me? when I moved here, when I moved here four years ago, the thing that stood out to me most was the number of people in this church who live this life of service, who are convinced that God is going to take care of them. So they are free to serve. And, and I remember just thinking, wow, I'm amazed. And I knew that Jesus was going, hey, that's great. No, no, literally, that's, that's great. That's greatness, right? And so the blessing that I want to leave you with this morning is simply this, that God and all of His power would work in you. You ready? To make every one of you great. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.